The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, big money's big AI bets and what it says about the stocks that can still work in this market even after some nice early year gains. We'll discuss and debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me right here from Post 9, Josh Brown, Stephanie Link, and Jim Labenthal. Let's check the markets up. Largely in the red today. Home Depot, as you know, is a weighing on the Dow. There's the picture. S&P's down about 10 points. It is the NASDAQ that is outperforming once again with technology. And that's really, Josh, where I think I want to begin today is taking a look at what happened yesterday with these 13 Fs that came out from some of the biggest money in the market and the concentration of bets being made all around AI, whether it's Tepper, uh, Ackman, LaFont, or some of these others who are either revealing new stakes or revealing the fact that they've added to the existing ones they have. Tepper adds Alphabet, he adds NVIDIA, he adds the Amazon and Meta and Uber. I just want to get your take here on how this trade has done incredibly well and the alleged smartest money in the market thinks that there's a long runway to go. I told you in February, I wrote a blog post about it, we did a segment on it, I told you we are going to have a bubble in AI. And I told you that bubble would include not just trash, not just de-spacked penny stocks, but some of the biggest, most important companies in the world, and their stocks would get caught up in it. And that is exactly what's playing out. I told you they would rip NVIDIA, I told you they would rip Microsoft and Alphabet and anything even close to being related to AI. And the reason is very simple, because the technology revolution being ushered in by AI is absolutely real. It doesn't mean all of the prices being paid for these stocks will look smart in hindsight, but there are people that just cannot not be there. They get questions about it every day, every charity and foundation they manage money for. So what are you guys doing about AI? Every private client, every family office, AI, 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 they have to do something and they don't want to scrape the bottom of the barrel. Why are you so convinced that it's a bubble? It's because it's going to get so much bigger. It will not stop until Jensen Wang is on the cover of Time magazine, the same way that John Chambers from Cisco was at the top of the dot-com bubble. Okay, so I, I want to stop you there because in nothing looking, could stop me. No, in, in looking at all of this, we were thinking along the same lines as you. In taking a look back at the, let's say, the height of the dot-com bubble, the yeah. peak, Steph, we made a wall, and I want to show you where forward PEs were then versus where they are now for what we would call hot tech, right? The Qualcomm's, the Yahoo's, the Cisco's. Look at those forward PEs in very early, we're talking January of 2000. 192 times forward for Qualcomm, 739 times for Yahoo, 134 times forward for Cisco. Pull out a little bit and you will see where the AI, quote unquote, stocks are today. 
Alphabet's 22 times. Microsoft is 31. Okay, NVIDIA's 63. Amazon's 76. And Meta's almost 20. I'm not suggesting by saying this or showing any of our viewers this that today's evaluations for these stocks are, are justified. Mm -hmm. But what I am saying is that there's a big difference to where we were then and where we were now as we are thinking of the hottest trends and we're talking of them in the same way and making comparisons from today to the early 2000s. I think you have to step back and look at what I always call the total addressable market. And you're at $183 billion in AI today, and it's expected to grow to $2 trillion by 2030. It's going to grow 37.3% per year between now and 2030. It's going to contribute 21% to GDP in that time frame, and only 25% of companies out there are actually using AI. So my point being is they can grow into even these multiples, which aren't really, really cheap, other than maybe Meta at 18 times. Um, but they can grow into this, the, these multiples and because the, the growth is so massive. What if they're, what if they're, okay, I hear you. They're not cheap relative to where the multiple on the S&P is. Right. But what if they are cheap relative to what their real growth prospects are as it relates to, to AI? Yeah, well, that's why I Maybe mentioned. that's the way you have to look at these now, not relative to where the S&P market multiple is. Well, that's kind of why I look at the total addressable market. I look at in technology in general, and we talked about cybersecurity, we talked about cloud, we talked about data center. AI is right there, and it's obviously gaining a lot of momentum. And I think if only, if only a quarter of the companies in the United States are using AI in their business mix, I mean, that's, a, that's very telling. I mean, that's, there's a lot that they can do to grow and then expand the, the total addressable market. So you definitely want to have exposure. You just have to be comfortable with which name you're going to play, which horse you're going to, you're going to ride, right? So for me, Meta, I am I, comfortable because 18 times is very cheap. Um, I, I'm tempted with Alphabet. I'm tempted with Microsoft even because that stock trades at 28 times, but yet historically it's traded at 35 times. So it's still down and I, I can make a case for it, right? Because the landscape is changing. So you pick your spots, and I'm, I'm going with Meta for the time being, but I'm looking for opportunities. So You're only exposed, Jim, in one stock, and that's and Alphabet. Uh, Microsoft. And also. Microsoft, too. Yep, that's okay. Um, so but, how, would you, how would you address the, this, this issue? Not only that, you know, these very well-known investors, not saying that they're wildly bullish, but if they have to be invested and they're putting their money in anywhere, it's here. Yeah. And they're bullish about AI. And I know it because I've had conversations about it with them. And it's understandable why. I mean, everybody's bullish about it. And I, I'm going to riff off of what Josh said, or at least what I think I heard Josh say, which is that, yeah, it might be a bubble now, but guess what? It's likely to grow. And as I look at the multiple of Microsoft, I mean, here, here's, what I, here's where I go with Microsoft. It's not yet. It's going to become one of the great right. bubbles of all time, but it, I don't think it but is you're yet. But you're in the middle stages of it. Yeah, yeah. But if you look at Microsoft and whatever that forward price to earnings multiple was, 29, 30, whatever it, it is. It was 31. Okay, 31, fine. I'm looking at FactSet right now, and it's got the long-term, right now, long-term earnings growth rate of 12.5%. So to a guy like me who focuses on valuation, I do the price to earnings to growth ratio. I come out at about 2.5. I mean, that's just what the math is. Now, 2.5 on a peg ratio, it ain't cheap. It's not bubble. It isn't bubble. Now, it's not cheap, and it doesn't make me want to go in there and buy the stock hand over fist. Google's a little more attractive on this, by the way. I mean, it's actually around a little less than one and a half times, and that's where you actually should be excited about it. Um, so I, I, where I come out on this, Scott, is 
yeah, it's going to be a bubble, as Josh was saying, early stages, early to mid stages. I don't think that Microsoft is ridiculously expensive. I find Alphabet, Alphabet kind of cheap. Um, I'll leave NVIDIA to Josh. That's been, you know, his baby, and he's done extraordinarily well with it. For me, I do have heartburn at the multiple, but I've been wrong on that, so I'll leave it to Josh. But, I mean, even, Josh, you know, those who are bullish on AI and those who have NVIDIA, um, yeah, they'd say, well, of course, NVIDIA is not, is not the most reasonably valued uh, company out of the space right now, but they justify it because of where this company is going to play in what is the most transformational trend arguably been, ever. So I've been talking about this for eight years and think about how many times I've been on the show where an analyst has downgraded video, NVIDIA because of like inventory concerns for next quarter or whatever. This is the difference between trading and investing. And just because you hold the stock for a long time doesn't mean it's going to work. I have plenty of stocks I've been holding for a long time that do not look good. But the situation with NVIDIA that you had to believe in was that they had such a substantial lead in the types of G GPUs that allow you to carry out nonlinear compute um, that ultimately, when this AI wave crashed upon us, this would be the stock that everyone had to own. And that's exactly how it's played out. Took a while, but now we're here. And you could cite AMD to me, and I will tell you, AMD's 250 chip that they're now trying to sell for some uh, AI applications is not even in the same ballpark. Intel is repositioning some of their CPU products and trying to tell people their AI chip. Forget it. it it's, it's literally the only game in town. The only real competition is going to be at the hyperscalers themselves. Google is an example. The Tensor chips, which operate in Google's own TensorFlow environment. Yes, that's also happening on a parallel track, but there's a reason why NVIDIA is becoming as over-owned and as overhyped as it is. As a long-term shareholder, I don't want to get rid of it just because other people are excited. I didn't throw out Big Head Todd and the Monsters just because all of a sudden they had a top 10 hit song in the 1990s. I was willing to like kind of, okay, other people discovered them. I still think it's cool. Maybe I'll pull back, let them surge forward. This is, this is what it means to be a long-term investor in a stock that gets discovered by the masses. It's probably a harder time right now than when nobody wants NVIDIA, which was the case 18 months ago. Now everyone wants it. It's hard to know, do you trim a little? Do you use options to reduce you know, some of your potential risk? Um, I'm in the process of making that decision right now. I got two questions then. Um, is it time for both of you at the end of our table to you know, value investing bottoms up traditionalists to say, like Steph was kind of alluding to, I need to maybe expand my horizons and also throw out some of the rules I've lived by because I don't have enough exposure into what is this trend. Um, I've only got a couple stocks for Jim. I've only got Meta for Steph. Broadcom too. Sure. And, and by the way, my second question is, if you look at the way, like the positioning of a Tepper, for example, it's not just here, it's there. And by there, I mean China. It's Baidu, Baba, Tencent, ByteDance, private, but nonetheless, even a Taiwan Semi. All of these people are thinking about AI in not the... The, the most likely places that we all talk about every day, the Alphabet, the Microsoft, NVIDIA, et cetera. Jim. 
Well, it's a good question. I think about this every day, and I talk to clients about this every day. Should we be more invested in tech? Um, and it's, you know, when you look outside of tech, which is where a lot of my portfolio is, I actually, for the next couple of years, I see higher growth rates in earnings. Now, that's for the next couple of years. You know, what we're talking about with AI is going to be for five years plus. But it, it leaves me sort of in the middle as far as adding to Microsoft or, or Google or initiating a new position. We, I just mentioned NVIDIA. It's a little hard for me to get over that multiple, but that's me. Um, just where we are right now for the next couple of years, for reasons that I've expressed, Scott, to you many times, there are better earnings growth rates for the next two years in some of these hard asset uh, sectors like industrial, like energy. I, mean, that, that, I think that's highly debatable at this moment. Like, do you think there are better earnings growth rates in industrial stocks than there are in these top quality, uh, alleged top quality For the next AI couple names? of years? Some. For the next couple of years, yeah. Some. I yeah. mean, look at what they produced this past quarter. Look what Caterpillar produced exactly. in this past quarter, up 34% in North America revenues, up 17% overall. Look at Nucor, 42% profitable growth in the quarter, right? Look at Cummins and look at Packar. They actually raised guidance mid-teens to 20%. What am I getting out of, out of Meta? And I own a lot of Meta. I'm getting, I got, I just got 6% growth last quarter. I might get 10% growth in the second half of the year. And I think I probably will get about 12 to 15% next year. But I don't, I mean, I, I'm, I think the valuation is attractive, so I'll stick with it. But I think there are other places. There three, are alternatives. Are, and wait a second. And there are other places within technology, too. It's not just AI, right? And it's that's why I own Broadcom, because it's AI, and it's data center, and it's cloud. And I get all that exposure for 15 times forward estimates. I bought and added to Fortinet two weeks ago, because I think cybersecurity is also a huge untapped market. And so I want to have exposure. So I'm just kind of playing around in a lot of different parts in technology. Certainly, I've increased my exposure throughout the year. Year in technology because you know last year I was underweight the whole year so I am slowly you know kind of increasing um, my exposure but I want to be very selective I think you can be valuation disciplined three three things are gonna happen and you could set your watch by it because it, it, it'll be the fifth or sixth time this exact thing has played out over the last 25 years really since the internet became an investor darling the first thing is you're gonna see a lot of existing mostly failing companies that are already publicly traded change their entire strategy and some will actually change their names and their ticker symbols to be AI-centric companies. Mm -hmm. We saw this with blockchain stuff in 2017. You will see it again, I promise you. Um, there will be promoters. A lot of this will be pre-orchestrated. Sure, but that's the bubblicious type hold, hold activity on. which me, you're describing. Let me finish the thought, 100%, you're right. Let me finish the thought though, it's important. What you're gonna see is the activist short sellers be all over those situations and take them apart relatively quickly. We saw them do it with a lot of the EV upstarts that didn't really have anything. So, okay, so that's one compartment of this and that'll be part of the bubble. It's small market cap stocks. Um, most people will steer clear. The second thing that will happen, the IPO machine is going to ramp up to levels that we have not seen in 25 years. It will be late 90s levels of frantic activity. Behind us at, at what is that, post nine order? Every, we're post nine. We're gonna get to a point, <laughs> as long as interest rates don't go to 9% this year, we will see a market environment where there are two, three deals a day. Some at NASDAQ, some down here. We will be breathlessly reporting 100% pops on those IPOs, and that's what you see the big money right now getting positioned for. They can't buy those things yet. They're in the private market, they're on the runway. They're buying the proxies that will work 
uh, during that type of activity. And then the last thing, and I think this is really important, a very, very big, important company will make a very stupid acquisition, and that will seal like the end of this AI bubble that I know is coming. Are you, it's, are you referring it's, to AOL and Time Warner? <laughs> I can give you like 10 examples of when Scott's going to lose his mind. So let me just wrap up. This is coming. You know it's coming. If you've been around, you've seen it, you've played in it, you've made money, you've lost money. You know it's coming. I just think that's try, what the big guys are getting ready yeah, sure. for. I think we try and bring perspective, at least somewhat, to it by showing you the wall in which we did with yeah. the comparisons between the then and now. That's right. Which the then got obviously absurd. You look at the PEs and we'll show them to you again. And where they got to for three of the poster stocks of the dot-com boom and bust, and then versus today... Uh, which some but of the Scott, stocks, some of these Scott. stocks today were were caught up in that that back then too with but elevated also, valuations and they, and they all came back Great down point. hard. Great point. Let, let me let me also point out too, since we mentioned Tepper's name, I just want to make sure everybody's clear since we're talking about this that, you know, in the 13F it was like, well, there was a position in Arc, ARKK, and Tesla. He's not in those stocks anymore. Um, those were those were trades. There were opportunities to be made, and then maybe they were made, uh, but they're not still in the making. You know, Scott, you made, a really, you made a good point about China, right, and how some investors are actually investing in Chinese companies. I think that's hard. I really do. I would rather own U.S. companies that have exposure in China because at least I get better transparency. I could do all the fundamental analysis that I want for, uh, on Chinese companies. You wake up one day and all of a sudden your CEO is gone, right, with, which what happened with Baba and, and uh, Jack Ma. So to me, the way to play the China recovery or the China growth or whatever you want to call it, I think you want to own, own U.S. companies that have exposure there. But what if that was just a moment in time thing? Like, are we saying, are, are you suggesting that now, you know, China is uninvestable for here for, for the I feel like I've always foreseeable said that. future? I mean, why not the Baidu's, the Baba's, the Tencent's? The I'm ETF. not going to say ByteDance because don't it's private. One. Taiwan Semi. You guys, people on the show have invested before in, in, in Taiwan Semi. I just don't like the lack of transparency. No, obviously I it's different. Uh, Taiwan Semi related to mainland China mm -hmm. and some of the issues there, clearly. Uh, but nonetheless, there are other AI plays that, that you know, these the smart investors are talking about that don't get enough focus here. Probably. We tend to focus on three or four, if not four plus one, stocks here. What's really funny is we're saying, like, China as an asset class has this uh, existential problem that makes these stocks uninvestable. But they're definitely tradable. And the other thing is, we're citing all these tech giants. Have you looked at the governance of these companies? They don't even have staggered boards. They literally have A shares, B shares. So we're in a bit of lack of transparency. We're actually investing in shadow equity yep. with some of these companies where I don't care how much stock you own, you have absolutely no say over anything that well, you, you do. You used to have the K-Web. You used to I'm have so, it. I'm making that point. You could trade it. I think, you could tra I think anything, is tra anything is tradable uh, within reason. Um, I understand the point of, like, I don't want to directly own um, you know, an SIE that's a Chinese company, but the Caymans are involved, and I don't really have the equity. I have like a piece of paper that's a claim to the equity. Total, I don't argue with anybody with that. I totally get it. All right. Let's, um, let's, uh, we have a market flash, actually, right now. Let's get to Frank Holland. Frank? Hey, there, Scott. Looking at shares of SAP right now, up one and a quarter percent, outperforming the NASDAQ. 
after the company released updated guidance for fiscal year 2025. That guidance shows overall revenues they're forecasting at $37.5 billion. The prior guidance was $36 billion. A change in its cloud revenue as well. That cloud revenue guidance now $21.5 billion. It was previously $22 billion. Part of that is due to its divestiture of Qualtrics. Um, operating profit, the new forecast, $11.5 billion. It's actually the same as the previous forecast of $11.5 billion. Also showing free cash flow at $7.5 billion. Previous guidance was $8 billion. But as you can see, the stock is still outperforming the NASDAQ. Um, this week, the company's made several announcements related to AI as part of the conversation you're having, partnering with Microsoft, Google, and IBM on its AI ambitions. And the SAP CEO, he's going to be on overtime later tonight. I'll be interviewing him along with Morgan Brennan. Uh, it should be an interesting conversation, not only about their guidance, but also about their AI ambition and their partnerships with Microsoft, Google, and IBM. Again, shares of SAP now almost a percent and a half higher after releasing updated guidance for fiscal year 2025 at their annual Sapphire conference. Back over to right. you. Frank, thank you. That's Frank Holland with the update for us there. Um, let's use that as an opportunity to pivot to a move of <laughs> yours before we take our, our break. Sure. Uh, not related to AI in any way. Like, like the opposite. Not related to tech <laughs> like the in opposite. any way. Yeah. Uh, Johnson & Johnson. Yeah, you know, I've been talking about it for a while. They'd finally spun out the consumer business, right? So they're a simpler company. And we can focus on pharmaceuticals, which is going to be about 80% of the overall company uh, with a huge pipeline. And they have a goal to, to grow total revenues of $57 billion by 2025. 20, uh, they also have a med tech business, and they're starting to see volumes uh, increase in procedures. And so I just think that it's underappreciated. It's down 10% on the year. It trades at 14 and a half times forward estimates. I get a little bit of a dividend yield. Um, we still have the talc resolution ahead of us. So it's a small position, Scott. If they don't have a favorable ruling on that and the stock is weak, that will be my opportunity to buy, to buy more. Um, but uh, this is one I think for the long term, they're, they're set up pretty well. Do you own Kenview? I do not. The spin? I do not. Why? I think they have to heavily invest. They've underinvested for years being in the conglomerate, right? And so now they're going to have to. And that's fine, but it's going to take a long time for them to see margin improvement as a result. Okay. Uh, all right. Coming up, we're going to do our chart of the day. It is one of the stories of the day. Home Depot <laughs> lower. The company posting its worst revenue miss in 20 years. Jim owns it. We debate it next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. 
right, Home Depot. It's our chart of the day. Uh, as I said, it's one of the stories of the day. Under pressure after reporting its worst revenue miss in about two decades. Stock's down one and a third percent. It's off the lows. Jim, you own it. Uh, what's your takeaway here? Um, let me do a thought experiment with you and our viewers. Okay. If I told you uh, a year ago that mortgage rates were going to triple, and that triple, and that Home Depot was going to be down uh, 1% total return over the 12-month period, would you, have, would you have believed me ahead of time? You would have said, no, this stock's going to be down 25% or more. The price maybe, action today. Maybe. I would have said maybe, well, people aren't going to be able to buy homes because of mortgage rates going up. They'll spend more to just fix up their places. So maybe it's okay. going to do better okay. than, okay. than you would I mean, I, I said it's a thought experiment. And I, you know, this is a good repartee here. If I told you that credit card rates were going to go, you know, from whatever to whatever, if I told you that the 10 year was going to go from basically below 1% to almost 4%, 3.5% right now, I think we would have come to a conclusion that Home Depot is not the place to be. And yet it's hung in there. And I think today's price action is telling you something and it's emblematic of the economy and the market overall, which is if the Fed has done its worst and it's done a lot. And yet the markets, the Home Depot overall is, is hanging, hanging in there. Is it hanging in there? It's down 10 percent year to date. OK. I mean, as I just said, you know, a year, a year of nothing but interest rate hikes. Right. You know, 500 basis. Yeah, points. So what? Let's look forward. Exactly. What happens now? Exactly. Thank you very much. You're looking for and I'm expecting interest rate stability, whether it's the Fed funds rate, the 10 year or mortgage rates. That's what most of us are expecting now. If the Fed is done, I do believe the Fed is done. And yet at the same time, you've got employment strong and you've got a strong need for housing. You put all this together and this is probably why the stock is only down 1.4 percent right now, even after a pretty lousy quarter and, and not so good guidance. The market for Home Depot, as I think the market overall is starting to look past whatever the second half of this year is going to bring and saying 2024 is going to be an economically growing uh, year. It's the biggest year-over-year well, year drop for quarterly Home Depot sales since 2009. And I don't know if that was the bottom for Home Depot stock, uh, but this is a new environment for most shareholders in, in Home Depot. They have not really been up against anything like this in, I don't know, what is that, 15 years ago? So it's just like, just like interesting to consider this is something new. Well, is have, management up to it? No, the management's totally up, up to it. It's, I mean, they, 26% of their revenues are in California, and we know what happened weather-wise there, right? Lumber, deflation, we know that that was a problem, too. Lowe's is going to see that, by the way, as well. They're not going to be, it's not going to be isolated to Home Depot. Sure, I agree. The NAHB, the housing data today came in much better than expected, and last month was much better than expected. I think you're seeing a trough in housing, and I think for Home Depot, I think we went from being worried about 2023 earnings and the collapse to now maybe we're at the trough and maybe you can they can do 14 and a half 15 and a half dollars uh, this year and that doesn't make what it if, that expensive I at know, 18 what if, times what if the consumer is becoming more sensitive to bigger ticket purchases as they would elude you to believe we also observed more broad-based pressures across the business compared to when we reported fourth quarter results a few months ago transactions down near five percent average ticket was basically flat but, you know, it's not just weather and it's not just lumber deflation. No, 
I mean, the, the economy is slowing down, right? But I don't think the, the, the consumer is getting killed by any means. I really don't. I no, think but I didn't say getting there. killed. I said, resilient. I, I said, you know, either putting off or rethinking larger priced purchases. Maybe like, that's possible. But in the meantime, the company has all kinds of productivity measures, cost cutting measures uh, and expanding their smaller concept stores, too. So, like, there's a lot they're, they're, they're doing in the face of maybe some slowdown from the consumer. But I just don't think the consumer is, is dying. Here's it's how, very here's, resilient here's how I see because it. of jobs and it's because of wages. Home Depot is a great company. And I wouldn't be if I, I'm not currently long the stock, but if I were, I wouldn't be freaking out. They're talking about an earnings decline this year for like negative seven to negative 13 percent. That's like livable. The problem is you're not getting a discount for the stock, given that's the backdrop. Home Depot is trading 12 times enterprise value to EBITDA, 29 times enterprise value to free cash flow, uh, two times uh, enterprise value to sales. All of those metrics are w well within the five to 10 year median. So it's not like you're getting a discount for the degree to which Home Depot is facing challenges this year. So I want it lower if I'm an investor. I don't want to buy it here in no man's land, in a downtrend, below the 50 day, below the 200 day, Maybe I'll buy it when they disappoint next quarter. 18 times forward versus 26 times forward for its historical average. So you are getting it at a discount. All right, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Coming up, we're following the big money's new bets on the banks as well. We'll do it right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Halftime Report. I'm Contessa Brewer. Here's our CNBC News update this hour. China's national defense urged the United States to cut all military ties with Taiwan today. The U.S. plans to send half a billion dollars worth of weapons to the region. And the defense spokesman says that could shake relations between the two countries and undermine stability in Taiwan. A former employee of Rudy Giuliani claims Giuliani discussed selling presidential pardons and detailed plans to overturn the 2020 elections. Those allegations against Donald Trump's personal attorney are laid out in a new 70-page lawsuit. And that lawsuit also accuses Giuliani of wage theft and sexual assault. Giuliani has denied the allegations. Stellantis has recalled nearly 220,000 Jeep Cherokees today because the SUVs could catch fire even when engines are off. The company warns the SUV should be parked outdoors and away from other vehicles until it can figure out a fix. The recall affects the power lift gates on certain Cherokees from the 2014 through 2016 model years. We'll keep our eye on that one, Scott. All right, Contessa, appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Contessa Brewer, a number of high-profile investors making some big moves in the banking sector during the first quarter, including David Einhorn, Einhorn, excuse me, Michael Burry, and even Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, let's go through some of these. Now, again, we always preface these things with, you know, you don't know what's a trade, what's long-term, et cetera. Uh, but Einhorn, according to the most recent filing, had a new stake in First Citizens Bank shares in New York Community Bank Corp. 
Burry, New York Community Bank Corp as well, Capital One, which is the same as Berkshire, Western Alliance, PacWest, Huntington Bank shares in First Republic, uh, and then Buffett also exited BNY Mellon and USA Bank Corp. Steph, hmm. what do we think here? What do we think about some of these moves in a space that is being questioned right now? I think it's gutsy. I, I don't want to own a regional bank or a community bank at all. I think they're losing market share. and. I think you're going to still see more closures, right? We've had 513 closures in banks since 2009. We're going to have more, Even right? Even super regionals you don't want to own? No, I really don't because I, I, I can get some of the big names that you know I own, like Wells Fargo at 0.9 times book. Bank of America is actually cheaper than Wells Fargo on a book basis right now, and it's down 17%. I, I like that one. You know, I, I was adding to that one in March. Uh, I think Schwab is certainly interesting, down 40% on the year. Expectations are really, really low, and they're growing organic growth 6%, and NA uh, 7%. So I, I have opportunities in the big, in the big banks, I mm -hmm. think, and I don't have to go digging and diving for some of the more speculative names. That doesn't mean that you can't see a huge, you won't see a huge bounces in these things, but I just think for me to sleep at night. These are the ones I want to actually own and buy on the weakness. And Capital One, I mean, that is, that's really gutsy. I mean, it's, I know it's cheap at seven times forward, but I mean, you know, their clientele is a little bit different than Buffett owning American Express. I would much rather own that one. Farmer Jim, you own the KRE. Mm -hmm. Why? Uh, it's a trading position. I put it on too early. It augments my long-term investments, as you know, Scott, and as viewers know, in Goldman and Citigroup and JP when Morgan. did you put it on? Uh, in the week after Silicon Valley Bank. So it was too early and it's down 17% uh, from where I bought it. But look, I'm not alone in thinking that there is value here. Uh, and really what this is, it's a tug of war between those who think that the banking system stuff, as you just said, has more shoes to drop, that there are more players that are gonna be taken out, or has the er have the earnings expectations been lowered enough that when you look at the book value of a lot of these regional banks, you say to yourself, wait a second, if they don't get taken out feet first, then there's tremendous value here. Now, it's never an either or, but I think there's enough people who are thinking like me that the, the damage that's been done in the sector just simply got too great. Clearly, I was too I early. I want to ask you about the middle of the road case, yeah. because I don't think they're all going to zero. I also don't think the sector is a blanket buy. And, and the reason is the middle case, where these companies are fine, the interest rate volatility calms down, they get their portfolios and, and their house in order, right? But then, like, how do they ever grow earnings again? Because now we're in a situation where to attract deposits, they're going to have to offer higher rates than they arguably have ever had to offer, mm -hmm. is one. And then two, competing against the whole world, whether it's a fintech app this is a or great it's Morgan Chase. So, like, what's the reason that regional banks ever do well again in a new world where there's this new polarity? It's yeah. these apps that have, like, no cost of capital. It's equity capital. And then there's the five or six gigantic banks and maybe the five biggest I think regionals. you've made the point. Can I respond? Yeah, like, what do you okay. do if you're the other 3,000 banks? <laughs> okay. I mean, it's an excellent point. We and here that. But I have another question for you, too, but go ahead. Okay. If that were the conversation of, geez, you know, how are we going to uh, deal with lowered earnings? And, you know, the, it, that's not the conversation that's basically, basically being had about the space right now. The conversation that's being had about the space is who's next to be taken out by the FDIC? And this is the discussion. I like having this discussion with you, right? Because that's a rational uh, point that you just put, pointed out there. And what I'm saying is that damage is already in there. We're having existential discussions, not what the level of earnings are going to be. 
Well, here's these what could I be five know. times. These stocks could be five times earnings, like forever. 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 <laughs> it really could turn out okay. that way, and then maybe none of them are buys. So you you bought the KRE. You said it's. You say you were too early. You said it's down 17 mm-hmm. percent since you bought it. You made an impassioned case for the value that exists in this space, mm-hmm. right? Right. Yes. Yeah. So why aren't you adding more? Why aren't you buying more? If you if you if you think there's so much upside, and they're 17 percent lower than where you bought it. Why aren't you putting your money where your mouth is? You know, I think I've got a little time. And I, listen, I'll be very honest. I'm down 17 percent. I'm feeling like my face is getting punched in. Um, I, let me let me have a little time here because there is still this question. And Steph brought it up, you know, of is somebody else going to be taken out feet first? I clearly went in too early. Um, I don't need to add to this uh, heroic bet by jumping in more now. Let me just give it a little time. It's that heroic. I mean, okay. it, it is. Okay. I mean, I was using I was using a term of phrase. No, I Josh think you know makes, what I mean. No, you don't need to say yes. It is. You made your point that you think it is. I think it is heroic. These stocks are now selling where they were selling in March of 2020. Are we saying these companies are in worse danger no, now? No, but they, when, a lot of them are going to look at when you look at a portfolio, when you look at a portfolio, there's only so much money that I can risk in this particular trade. And right now is not the time to add to it. RSI now, listen, does 20. that mean That's does the that most oversold they've been since COVID? Great. You're making me feel good. If it starts to go up and I buy more 10 percent higher from here, but I feel more confident about it. Fine. Right. And it's not exactly that I'm lacking in confidence, but I'm well aware that there are risks here. So okay. right now, right. I'm just hanging on. We got, we'll take another break. When we come back, we got a couple bullish calls to tell you about, including one healthcare name, Steph Bones. And we'll do that next. Welcome back. Let's get to our calls of the day now. GE Healthcare is number one. Initiated outperform Oppenheimer. Price target 97. That's near 30% upside from here. It's up 38% since it start trading at the, started trading at the beginning of the year. Stephanie Link, this is you. Yes, this is. I like the story very much, and it's down 13% from its highs after they reported a pretty much in-line quarter. I actually would look to be buying here down this much. I think that's way overdone. This is a company that's been around for 125 years. They have a billion patients. They have a 4 million installed base. They have recurring revenue. That's 55% of total revenue. So I like everything that I'm hearing, and I think it's a buying opportunity on this weakness. Try and disclosed a stake of 1.3 million shares as of March 31st. I like, I like that. So Q1. Um, again, grain of salt. I didn't talk to Nelson Peltz. I don't know if they're still there, but you're thinking about that, right? I like that. Yeah. <laughs> should they, re- <laughs> uh, should they rebrand? Are they getting a benefit from being GE Health Services? I, yeah, well, I actually think people in the industry know who they are. Okay. They've been around for 125 years, right? I mean, you don't get a billion patients overnight and and, uh, right. and that kind of thing. So I, oh, I think Josh's point is not necessarily people in the industry. It's investors. Well, maybe over time they'll prove their worth in terms it of their name. It should be GE Health Services AI. AI. Dot AI. <laughs> Do it. Do it. $10 immediately. A, another call, City reiterating Deer as a buy. It reports earnings on Friday. Jimmy, that's you. Yeah, you know, whenever we talk about this name on a quarterly basis and how the earnings are going to go, I, I really, I don't lose my mind, but I do lose interest because in any quarter we're talking about weather patterns here and there and how that affected the crop for soybeans or corn. When it misses the bigger <laughs> 
picture. It misses the bigger picture, which is that there needs to be a major redistribution geographically of where plantings are made across the globe. And that is going to benefit deer. By the way, I'm leaving aside, and I see Stephanie nodding her head, I'm leaving aside the construction business because that's only 20%, but what you said about cat earlier applies here. Mm -hmm. This is a stock, and Scott, going to our earlier conversation, again, to fact set, okay? Yeah. Long-term earnings estimates here, 16%. And you get this at 12 times earnings. I, to me, I'm not worried about the quarter. I look at that setup and I say, I can hold this for a few and years to come. you get margin come. expansion from the precision ag farming. Oh, uh, yeah, thank you. I mean, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have, beautiful. Right, Mike Santoli is going to join us next for his midday word. And by the way, don't miss David Faber's exclusive interview with Elon Musk following Tesla's annual meeting. It's tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern time. It's a CNBC special presentation. We are back on the half after this. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli with us now for his midday word. I want you to weigh in on this notion of AI um, bubble, then versus now, yeah. and how it's kind of obvious at this point that the biggest and alleged smartest money in the market is all sort of gravitating to those stocks. Yes, um, they absolutely are. It seems right now as a little bit of a kicker or an accelerant on an existing fundamental story for these net winner companies, for the NVIDIAs and Microsofts, where they had a lot else going on. And this seems like either uh, just another layer of why you like it uh, or a reason to justify a higher valuation. So I was just, if you look at NVIDIA, what has happened to the numbers in the last six months, the earnings estimates for the fiscal year that ends in January 2025 are up 15% in the last six months. And you're trading for 48 times that number on the stock right now. So if you say this is an unrecognized factor, I would not believe that that's really the case. Is it justifiable? Can you get further upside from there? Maybe, because it doesn't compare to just the level of non-fundamental bubbly activity you had back then. But to me, the real question is, there's a huge gap between eh, maybe a little bit overvalued or this side of fair value and mm -hmm. cataclysmically doomed bubble valuations, which you had back then. And those stocks all went down 90% peak to trough. What if, I, what if I'm just simply looking at it as six months ago, yeah. let's say the valuations of the mega cap stocks were today pretty close to what they were six months ago. Yeah. I don't remember exactly the day that you know, chat GPT burst into the lexicon. It's around six months, I think. Okay. Yeah. November so, 30th. Yeah. All right. So if that is our line in the sand, then you say, well, if the valuations were, maybe they were a little bit stretched in some people's minds six months ago, and now we have wrapped our heads around the prospects of what AI is going to mean to these companies. Right. Are the valuations really that stretched? Well, the way I would now? view it is more that six months ago you had you were like ten months into some pretty nasty valuation compression, and you had another reason to take a second look at an alphabet which traded at a market multiple. And to me, I, I still need to be persuaded that this is not just open source, big data, all the other Web3, all the other things that seem like, yep, there's a lot going on here. There's a bit of an investment cycle. Maybe big companies are panicking that they have to participate. But does it convert two and three years down the road to earnings that are not cannibalizing another part of the business? I have no idea. Yeah, good points, uh, as usual. And we'll see you on the closing bell. That's Mike Santoli. Straight ahead, 
We have more portfolio moves from Stephanie Link to tell you about, and we'll do it when we come back in two minutes. Update now to a story we told you about yesterday. Shake Shack naming former Domino's Pizza CFO uh, Jeffrey Lawrence to its board following pressure from activist investor Engaged Capital. Uh, so a settlement uh, mm. here. We talked about this with you. Uh, you have thoughts on uh, just the, maybe putting this behind the company here? Stock's up 50%, what, year to date, something like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Is it behind the company or like now the activist has a voice internally and on the board and maybe it's good? So I'm, I'm happy. No, I mean, I mean behind it in a, have in a positive way, the, right? Have you tried the truffle shroom burger? I have not. <laughs> oh, my God. I haven't. Like, that's, that's the only th- We would lead the show off with that if, if, if you did. Okay. That's what we should be talking about here. This is, a, this is a growth company getting its margins back more voices from shareholders in the room. I think it's all good. Is it a regular menu item or is it a special? I don't think they'll keep it forever, Scott, so act now. Okay, I will. Thank you. All right, uh, I want to get to some more moves, uh, Steph, that that we have uh, from you, too. Uh, You bought more Chevron. And you bought more SLB, yeah. the former Schlumberger. Yeah, both of them are down really Formerly known as. That's right. So Chevron is down 18% on the year. I think now it yields close to 4%. It's a diversified revenue mix. Great company. They're buying back stock. They have a 10 to $20 billion guidance for their buyback. They're lowering their debt. They're doing all the right things, and stock seems to be hated. SLB, I, it's, it's down um, even more. It's down 25%. I don't remember the last time this stock traded at 14 times forward estimates. And you know I'm a big fan of their technology initiative, uh, and I think international markets are just getting going. So at some point, somebody's going to care about energy again. And I just thought, down so much, I wanted to nibble. Okay. All right. We'll do final trades next. I want to go to D.C. and show you uh, Sam Altman. He's the creator, of course, of ChatGPT, leaving that hearing uh, down in D.C. Let's watch. Sam, look, a lot of the things that were going on in there was talking about this idea of, like, look, we forgot we couldn't do social media regulation. Are you... Do you think this is going to happen? Do you think they're going to do regulation on AI? And if they don't, how do you self-regulate? Yeah, I, I hope that they will. Um, if they, but if they, they don't. They seem sincere. And if they don't, then the industry does what we think we should do anyway. We can't control what every player does. Uh, we've said a lot about the things that we want to do, that we hope other people will do. Um, and I think on the positive side, the industry does take the, the gravity of this very seriously. But I still think we'd be all better served by the government. How fast does Congress have to move on this to keep up? Uh, I think it's more important to get it right than to move super fast. Uh, although, you know, you, I don't want to. If it takes a decade, that would be a, that would be a bad thing. But the EU is doing it now. Could, how quickly could AI, you think, become self-aware if Congress does not regulate? I think a lot of folks at home are wondering. I think there's a huge amount of speculation on that question. I think it's very important that we keep talking about this as a tool, not a creature, because it's so tempting to anthropomorphize it. I totally understand where the anxiety comes from. Um, I think it's like the wrong frame, uh, the wrong way to think about what's happening. Is there a chance that you could lose control of chat GPT? Sorry, what did you say? You mentioned the possibility of a global governing body yes. for AI. That's really curious to me, and it's, you've mentioned that it's not impractical. What's your vision for it? I, I think it's really important to try to figure out. I, I didn't mean to say impractical. If I did, I misspoke. I meant to say that it's difficult and that it sounds like a sort of naive thing. We've done it for other industries. I mean, it ha- the IAEA did it, uh, and I think this is a technology that we should treat with that level of seriousness. So although difficult, uh, I think it's important to try to start the conversation on it. So leaders, we discussed about the remaking of AI uh, this week in, in Japan. So what do you expect for uh, Japan's uh, 
Chea. What did you say? I'm not close enough to that one to have a meaningful comment on how, how Japan is thinking about it. I, I had a great time there a few weeks ago. I'm going again in a few more weeks, but I don't think I could speculate on it with any, so a, any you, accuracy. Yeah, what do you expect for G7 leaders' discussion on AI? That one I think I you know even less about. But I'm looking forward to hearing what they, what they talk so about. So how, how, like how is ChatGPT going to help the creators? I think it's really helping the creators. I think it's amazing to talk to uh, creators about how they're using the current tools. Uh, people talk about it as like the most important creative tool they've ever gotten used in their, in their well, new what's career. What's one thing you're not seeing them do with it that they should be doing? I mean, there's so much happening. I, I uh, What's the one thing? I don't know. It's really, it's really remarkable to watch what's happening already. Can you give me an example of what you mean by scary AI? Sure. I mean, an AI that could like help design novel biological pathogens, an AI that could hack into computer systems. I think these are all scary. But these systems can become quite powerful, which is why I was happy to be here today and why I think this is so important. And what, I can probably do like two more minutes. What do you think of the EU law? What do I think of what? The EU law. Um, I, all right, I'll wrap it up real quick. The, the EU law is, uh, it's, it's still going to evolve a lot, right? Like the, and I'd rather wait to comment on it until we see something. Other languages, other languages non-English languages. Yeah, sorry. All right, I'm sorry. Is We're really late for another thing. Nice to talk to all of you. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'll do it. All right, that was Sam Altman, of course, the creator of, of ChatGPT, just out of that hearing down in Washington, D.C., addressing those concerns about AI, whether there's going to be regulation and, and what that might look like. So we're glad we had an opportunity to hear from him as he leaves that hearing. That does it for us. I'll see you on Closing Bell, of course. The exchange begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. People today can spend half their lives over 50, so it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.